So good morning. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different than you probably do in chapel, and I have some prompts for you to be discussing in small groups. So you might have to engage in conversation with someone next to you. So start putting your thinking cap on about how you could do that. I'm going to talk to you today about the Christian closet, and the Christian closet concept came to me as I was uh, engaged with a student, and I'll tell you a little bit about my job at the university in a second. Um, but she was talking about her and her wife had just adopted a child. And I did this double take. So it's a woman, and she's saying her wife. And I was kind of flabbergasted, didn't want to have that show on my face, because in our environment at the university, we're a very open university, very liberal university, as state universities are. But I thought, how magnificent for her to be so out that she's out everywhere. And it doesn't bother her about how she introduces herself and the things that are important to her. And where am I in terms of my own development of being out? So the first time I delivered this message, I got up in front of a large group of people. They all happened to be of the Baptist persuasion. And I, I, I shared, I have a confession to make that I don't think will be very popular. But I've decided to come out. And there were noticeable murmurs, <laughs> all right? sideways glances and full-on deer-in-the-headlight look. Um, and I said, yes, I've decided to come out of the Christian closet. Amen. <laughs> I've decided to come out and be a follower of Jesus everywhere, every day. Why do I feel I have to segregate my faith into only those places where it's safe or only those places where it's known? Why can't I talk about what I did this weekend you know, as easily as I talk about other things I did this weekend. So this weekend, I had a wonderful time uh, with my family. Uh, we went and enjoyed dinner together. I heard a wonderful sermon by Andy Stanley. And uh, we also, I got to go to the YMCA and get a nice workout in. Okay. So why can't I include the sermon by Andy Stanley in that discussion when I work with people or engaging with people at the airport today as easily as I do those other things? You know, why don't I tend to insert that? Now, again, many of you are professional Christians or are learning to be professional Christians, so you might be used to inserting those little nuggets or seeds into that conversation. But for those of us like myself who've never been formally trained, I sometimes keep those little parts to myself. So that's really where the Christian closet concept came from. Um, so let me tell you a little bit more about who I am, and what I know a little bit about you and what we have in common. So as I shared, I have had all my training and all my workplaces have been in secular settings. I've always considered myself the undercover brother, you know. In terms of uh, the way that I've been trained, the way that I've been educated, the opportunities that have been afforded to me, the way that God has equipped me uniquely, has put me into places where oftentimes either I felt like or I really was the only Christian at the table, all right? And those have been some awesome opportunities. A little isolating, too. I remember my first Christian counseling conference I went to, and people were talking openly about Jesus. And I was a little bit freaked out, right? Because I'm not used to that in most of the circles where I, I tend to be the only one, it seems like. Um, but I'm, you know, as uh, Dr. Holman mentioned, I've been at this game of uh, being a counselor who's a Christian uh, for 20 years. My, the populations in which I have worked have been in the addictions field and then working with service members, so veterans who've returned from combat. 
um, both those populations tend to have a lot of resistance to people that are trying to enter into their world and offer assistance. So I think that's a little similarity with how, where you're coming from. So you're being equipped and trained to enter into worlds where you might experience a little bit of resistance. So hopefully part of what I'll be able to pass on to you today are some techniques, some ways to entering into people's lives that doesn't put their flags up, doesn't put their radar up. Um, something else that I have found about who I am and how this might equiply, uh, uniquely equip you is that I equip missionaries, if you will, to enter into the mission of mental wellness. So I never really thought of myself as a trainer of missionaries, but I'm training therapists, and these are mostly secular therapists, going into people's worlds and trying to invite them to the message of mental wellness. All right. Similar, I think, to you. So you, uh, what I know about you, or what I assume about you, is that you have heard God's calling on your life, and you are willingly stepping into a role where you're going to try and bring salt and light into people's lives. Is that true among many of you? Hopefully all of you, all right? I mean, you're coming to chapel on a Tuesday, so I'm assuming... <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, I also know that you're entering into a, a world that's very different than the world that I grew up in. It's only... I'm in my 50s, so I'm not too old. Um, but, you know, the world when I first became a Christian, back when I was 18, was very different about how we communicated, how we shared our faith. And so I assume that you know that, uh, that you're coming into a different world where people are really hungry, but they're also very satisfied. It seems to be. All right. uh, who are we together? We are fellow beggars pointing the way to bread, right? We are people that have both are, live in this... Um, tension of being sinners saved by grace. We're constantly failing and constantly um, leaning towards Jesus who brings us fulfillment. So I think even though we're a little bit different in terms of our perspectives, our trainings, I think that the commonalities outweigh the difference. And so I just want to lay that out there because part of my job is to irritate you a little bit. All right. Um, as, as a therapist, you know, part of my job is to create the pebble in the person's shoe that makes them think a little bit differently. And that's what I'm hoping, is that I will upset you a little bit, or I'll tweak you a little bit, and I don't have to worry about being up in front of you again, so I really can say whatever I want. <laughs> All right? Just, and, I, and I already have the shuttle van waiting to take me back to the airport, so you don't have to, like, run me out of campus. But um, I'm hoping that you'll be able to receive the, the intent from which this is coming from, which is to come alongside you and to help equip you even further than what you're being equipped here to bring this message of hope into a world that's dying to no hope. All right? So, um, some things I've come to recognize about professional Christians. All right? Um, and I'm very much used to this kind of lecturing format, so the slides will be up there kind of reflecting what I want to say. One is you have a tough job, and I think I've already mentioned that. So you're not going into this profession lightly, I hope. All right. Hopefully you're not going into it with your stained glass window sunglasses and thinking that everything is going to be nice and easy as you try to traverse the world. You're not the best at asking for help either. Um, so uh, my best friends tend to be pastors and police officers, which is kind of like a running joke. So a pastor, a police officer, and a psychologist walk into a bar, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is kind of the three of us, right? Um, but none of those professions ever turn off, all right? You guys never turn off. 
So your professional lives as Christian and your personal lives as Christian are intermingled, right? And the ability to put a time frame on the work that you do and keep it to a 40-hour week, I mean, you're always serving, right? And you're oftentimes, as I said, not really good at asking for help, which I think helps explain why so many shepherds fall in this day and age, right? And we've heard these stories, we're shocked by these stories, our hearts are burdened by these stories of men and women who are serving and doing great work for the kingdom, and yet they fall, and they fall hard, and their congregation scatters as a result. And one reason is because they're not really good at asking for help. They're just go, 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 and they misconstrue their self-worth in the work that they're doing, you know? Um, I've also noticed that if you're not careful, we can get too focused on the product and miss the process, right? We get kind of wrapped up into the right formulas to doing evangelism, and we miss the relational piece, right? Particularly when you're coming from a professional training program, and this is the same thing with my students. When I'm training psychotherapists, they want to know the right answer. They want to know the technique that's going to make all the difference in this client's world, all right? And what research has shown is that technique only really leads to 15% of successful change. The biggest chunk of of, uh, research that shows that what makes for successful change is the nature of the relationship, right? And we follow a relational God, three in one, right? So he is a relationship in and of himself. And so we are relational beings, but yet we get sucked into formulas and the right way And sometimes we lose people because we're more interested in that product, another follower of Jesus, than the process allowing the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts. All right? Um, And too often we we miss an opportunity to share what's on our hearts. You know, just that natural of what you did this weekend and have that be a scattering of seeds. Have people tried that before? I'm assuming many of you have. No hands were raised. So nobody has? Okay, good. But where you have sprinkled seeds and found another Christian at the table... Just because you mentioned something that you did this weekend that had a faith component and they kind of light up and go, oh, you go to church, I go to church too, right? And that also becomes opportunities for people getting to know you as a Christ follower and then they will lean in when they're ready to hear what you have to say. So, so some reflections. Are you stuck in the closet? And what's in, what, what gets in the way of our naturally sharing our faith? Again, not from the sake of a formula, but natural evangelism, I would call it right? And I think these are the main things. So we, we, we all have a fear of rejection, all right? Um, I think one of the biggest human needs is the need to be known and accepted. So when we do share our faith, we have a sense of, well, I don't want to reje- be rejected from this person. I'm also going to offend others, particularly since we live in the land of the re- frequently offended, right? In terms of always being very politically correct, which I think is kind of Another word to keep us quiet sometimes, amen, you know, a way of kind of keeping us quiet, you know, we're we're willing to sacrifice to the need of political correctness rather than speaking from our hearts, all right, Um, and also think that we tend to think we don't know enough, right, and again, you guys would know a lot, right, because you're in seminary, right, so you would know a lot, but we still think we need to know more in order to naturally share the things that are near and dear to our hearts. So, how does Jesus invite us to come out of the closet? Well, he came up with this whole discipleship paradigm, although he never called it a paradigm. He never called it a model. It was all relational, wasn't it? Right? And so this is probably not news to you, 
but there was a period of time where he would ask people to follow him. Did everybody follow him that he invited to follow him? Good seminarians would say no, right? There were several people, the rich young ruler, didn't he say follow me? What did the rich young ruler say? Sorry, you know, haven't I done everything? Sell everything that you have and give to the poor? And he went away dejected, right? So he has this follow me paradigm, and I'm going to break down each of these uh, for you briefly. Then there's a period of time in his uh, people that he was shepherding where there was a trust and belief portion of of that relationship. And that's really where I'm going to focus on today's scripture reading. And then there was an obey part right, just as he was getting ready to leave, right, he asked them to obey, okay, so if you agree with that, I'm going to go through each of these uh, briefly and kind of talk about where I feel this plays out for us in terms of being natural sharers of our faith, so in each of the gospels, there are invitations to follow me, you know, Jesus said, come and see, or other people asked their loved ones to come and see, right, Um, He invites people to follow him who know that they're not all that they should be, right? So I think a part of that is recognizing and discerning invitations as to when people are actually recognizing their humanity or their limitations, all right? And having a discernment of when to deliver that come and see message, all right? And he didn't ask people to clean up their act before they followed him, which I always thought was interesting. So there were no Christians at the time of Jesus, right? That's a known fact, I'm assuming, in this room, right? So none of them changed who they were in order to follow him, right? But I think too often the world gets this message of change, then you can belong. And I think if we're not careful, we can perpetuate that message as we are trying to keep ourselves sanctified and holy and had that same expectations for those outside the world, and then they can be invited in. So I think that's something that we really need to be mindful of. There's a little pebble in your shoe for you, okay? Another thing is that within the context of the relationship, amazing changes happen in these men's lives and in these women's lives who are following him, right? I mean, we went from a very impulsive Peter to the rock on which the church was built. That's a pretty huge shift in someone's life, right? Um, how did someone invite you to follow Jesus? If you think back to when you were first invited, and this is my first talk to the person next to you, all right? Can you remember back when you were first invited to follow Jesus? Did someone present a list of rules for behavior, or did someone invite you into a loving relationship, something that seemed better than where you were? So just for a moment, if you can talk to someone next to you for a moment, Which of those, and hopefully it's self-evident by now, when you first were invited to follow Jesus, which of those were you invited towards, rules or relationship? So just take a moment. I'm going to get a drink of water.
All right, so I'm going to invite you back because pretty soon they're going to start signaling me that I'm running out of time, so I've got to beat the clock here. So I'm assuming by all the energy that was generated, how many people would say that they followed relationship? All right, and the rest followed maybe a combination of rules and relationship, or maybe are still deciding that even now, all right? How do we know when to give that invitation? Um, I really like this analogy I heard once from someone who grew up on a farm, all right? In terms of how does the um, farmer know when it's time to harvest the wheat? Maybe you've heard this um, in seminary before. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but the stalks of wheat, as they mature, the kernels of wheat start to get heavy, and they draw that reed forward due to the weight of those ripening kernels, if you will, of wheat. And you can tell I'm not a farmer, so I might be using all the wrong words. But So how does the farmer know? The farmer can stand there and look at a field of wheat, and when he or she sees brown, it's time to harvest. When they see green, that means that the stalk is still standing upright. All right. How do we know when it's time to invite people to follow Jesus? Is when the cares of the world have become so heavy that they're leaning in and wanting to hear. Right? And that takes relationship with them to know when that has occurred, right? which doesn't necessarily fit into a single evangelistic moment. And again, there are definitely times for sharing your faith without having a relationship because you're at the airport and you're not going to see that person again, all right? or you're on the bus or something. But when we're in the context of a relationship, we'll know when it's time to invite, when we can see them leaning in and the cares of the world have gotten to the place where they're wanting to hear. All right? So following me, the lesson is that it's a reaction to our recognizing of our humanness, our pain, our limits, all right? And again, relationship would allow for that to unfold. So if that's the lesson, I have some questions. And this is again for you to talk again, all right? So any one of those questions, what are people looking for these days? Where's their hunger and who are they following? If it isn't Jesus, who are they following? All right, take a moment. All right, so anyone willing to take a risk and speak out in chapel and share what did you guys talk about just in one or two words? What are people hungry for? Anybody willing to offer what people are hungry for? Yes, sir. Them hungry for themselves. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. For purpose. How about others? What's that? Hope. Yes. Love. 
satisfaction, identity, acceptance. And, and let me end there. So with, with acceptance, I think, kind of brings all those kind of pieces together. Thank you. I'll make sure I pay you afterwards. All right. <laughs> so I really think that people are craving to be known and accepted, right? At their core, they want to be loved, known, and accepted. And I think back to the movie Avatar. Do you remember the movie Avatar? Big blue people, right? <laughs> so in that movie, I don't know if you ever saw it, but their deepest greeting to one another was not, I love you, it's, I see you, right? And I thought that was a very poignant draw to people needing and wanting to be seen. So where are people going? Who are they following? I'll tell you, on college campuses these days, the one group that is exploding on campus isn't necessarily the Christian organizations. It's the LGBTQ population, right? And so I thought I would put another pebble in your shoe for you to consider what are they doing so well that we could learn from, particularly since that's one population that we at the church have not done a real good job connecting with, all right? And if we desire for them to listen to us, I think it would behoove us to listen to them and to forge that relationship as a way into hearts. So I thought we could take some lessons from them. All right? So some lessons we might learn from the LGBTQ plus population. All right? Interestingly, in that group, all are welcome. Isn't that supposed to be ours? Like, aren't, isn't everybody supposed to be welcome? But isn't church still the biggest segregated hour of the week? All right? We come here because we do this here, but other people, we have to change in order to do it the way we do it here. All right? But all are welcome. All are accepted. No one needs to change. You can be in a variety of different sexual orientations, preferences, or identities, and you're accepted just as you are. All right? Over time, people can and do change. So someone may come in and think, you know, I think I'm a gay male. Uh, but over time, I actually come to discover that I'm bisexual. And no one in that group is threatened by that discovery. All right? Love is their banner. Wasn't that ours? Right? If you love, they will come. Right? They befriend others well. There's no hidden agendas. There's no sales pitch behind the love banner. Okay? Acceptance, not conversion, is the goal. So you can go to a meeting and not have to worry about coming out gay if you're not gay, all right? But you still feel accepted. Some other lessons we might learn. After sharing their orientation, they're not threatened that someone decides to stay in their orientation, right? So there's no hook. Like, if I'm going to share in terms of us, if I share my faith, isn't there kind of an implied message of, I'm sharing this for the sake of conversion? Where are they just, I'm sharing this because this is what's near and dear to my heart. They don't pretend that stigma and bias don't exist, and over time and with maturity, they actually realize that's the other person's problem, not theirs to change. So they recognize that if you don't like me or you don't like where I'm coming from, that's your problem. But too often, we feel it's our problem, that we have to change people's minds and be more accepting of Christians, right? Now that we're, we're more the minority. And they increasingly feel comfortable being who they are wherever they are. And that's kind of where I talked about at the beginning about that student of mine that was just open about the fact that her wife and her had just adopted a child. So with that, 
How are we getting in the way of leading people to the one that offers them that hope, that love, that acceptance, right? Well, first thing, and this is when I work with counselors, is we have to battle against our writing reflex, all right? Our writing reflex, one of the reasons you're probably coming into this profession and that counselors come into the profession is because they have a pretty good barometer of what's right and what's wrong. Do you have that too, or is that just me? All right? So we have this natural tendency to want to correct people and lead them towards what's right. Anybody have an adolescent in here besides me? How does that work when you try and correct the adolescent and lead them towards what is right? They tend to back up into their behavior, right? That's called resistance. And resistance is actually a product of the relationship, not a sign of pathology. It's not even a sign of age. The only reason resistance occurs is because I'm allowing it to occur in a relationship, all right? And that's oftentimes because my natural reflective response is trying to make something right or correct somebody. And when I lead in with that, the implied message is, is you're wrong. And who likes to hear that? All right? Amen. We also take other people's decisions too personally. So when we do share, when we do sprinkle those seeds, if they don't respond in the way that we would like them to, we tend to take those reactions too personally. There must be something wrong with the way that I delivered it, right? This is my responsibility to change their hearts. We take a lot of responsibilities for people's change processes. We become a salesperson for Jesus, and I don't think he asks us to do that, right? The whole bait and switch, like, let me invite you into a loving relationship, and now let me tell you why you're here, right? Does anyone here like to be sold? I mean, do you answer the telemarketers with a hope or do you click off, right? No one likes to be sold, particularly in this day and age when everybody's selling something, all right? We don't need to be Jesus' salesperson. And then we live these incongruent lives. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time sometimes following my own message, right? I have a really difficult time living a sinless life. That's why I follow a sinless God, because he's the only one that can do it, right? So I think it's time to evaluate our path. Maybe where are we in our journey, right? And even first to think, are we out everywhere? So I took another um, page from the LGBTQ uh, handbook about the coming out process and are we placed sexual orientation for faith orientation. So let's see kind of where we are. So are you sure about your faith orientation? You know, are you standing on the rock? And are you sure where you're coming from? Or do you still have doubts? I still have doubts. I think Jesus welcomes our doubts. Are you comfortable with your faith identity? To whom do you belong? Do you belong to a church? Is that your identity? Or do you belong to a God? And those are difficult to sometimes tease out. Do you have support? Are you well-informed about your faith? This is kind of different from knowing enough this is, do you know your own story? Can you share your own story for the sake of just sharing it, not with the hook behind it? Okay? Some other things about the coming out process. Is this a good time to come out to people? Is this setting in which you find yourself? Again, you know, we're called to bring Jesus into every corner of, of the world, and there's, a, there's good timing, too. Okay? Can you be patient? Can you sprinkle seeds? If it isn't time for the whole gospel message, can you just sprinkle some seeds and see if they get chomped up by somebody? Uh, do we tend to over-anticipate others' reactions and try and work around those reactions? Have you thought about how you'll respond to negative reactions, and is this your decision, or do you feel forced to bring an evangelistic message into someone's life? 
So those are all questions that someone has to go through when they're coming out. And I would invite you to think about your own coming out process in coming out into a faith identity to consider some of those too. So there we go from follow me to trust and believe. And that's really where today's scripture comes from. So after we follow, Jesus next invites us to watch and listen. All right. We find ourselves slowly coming towards a trusting and believing relationship. All right. Trusting he has our best interest at heart, believing that he says who he is. How do the disciples act? I was reading in, in Luke today in preparation for today's message. How do the disciples act as they were following Jesus? No one wants to say they were a bunch of fools. Weren't they acting kind of foolish? Exactly. They were completely oblivious of what was really going on. They're arguing about who's greatest in the kingdom, right? Um, there was a, a time where they're uh, skirting Samaria and the people don't want them to come into that city, so they ask, shouldn't we invite fire and rain down on that city, <laughs> right? So they're very judging, right? Um, they'd see miracles and then wonder, how are we going to feed these 5,000, right? So even in their trusting, I mean, they were right there with Jesus, they were still in process, right? It was a, a very deep, changing process that only happened in the context of a relationship. Oh. So in terms of, of looking at sending out the 72 or the 70, and depending on which version you have, two people were missing from the story. That's supposed to be a seminary joke that went over like bricks. Okay, so, right, so depending on which version, you know, it's either 70 or 72 are sent out. So we heard that in today's scripture. Thank you for reading that. Um, what happened right before this? Because it starts off with after this. So if you go back, you know, into Luke 9, is where Jesus is saying to people who are saying, I want to follow you, he's saying, here's the cost of following me. All right, taking up your cross and following me. You know, I, I, I like to go back and say goodbye to my family. Anyone that's not willing to leave their family behind is not worthy to follow me. So he's laying some parameters of now it's time to trust and believe. All right. So he sends out these 72 believers into the world to spread the message of hope. They come back all jazzed up and excited. Right. Their message is, right, you wouldn't believe this, Jesus. Even the demons were running away. Right. And so Jesus talks about seeing Satan fall like lightning to earth, right? And then he also ends with, don't rejoice in the fact of what you just did. Rejoice in who you belong to, right? Rejoice that your names are in the book of life. And too often, I think we get locked into trusting and believing when we're seeing results. And we only rejoice when we see results, we've lost our rejoicing of who we belong to, that our names are written in the book of life. And that's really what this winnowing process is trusting and believing, is that our joy is in Jesus, not in our works. All right. And so if we skip this process, which I'll talk about in a second, that's where danger can occur. So if you think about how that compared to the 12 disciples in Matthew 10, right? So he sent out the 12, and that was earlier in the ministry these 72 were later but both involved going out and learning how to trust and believe in what i'm saying don't take a cloak don't take food you know i want you to trust and believe all right and the lesson is trusting and believing takes time and often takes conflict we have to have our own conflict to really see can we trust and believe 
So, in terms of obeying, all right, I think we jumped ahead. So, I'm going to go back. So, we obey out of love, out of reverence for God, out of the assurance that his way is indeed the better way. And what is Jesus' command? That we love, all right? And love, again, happens in the context of relationship, relationship with God, relationship with others. So that's our obeying command, is to love, all right? And so the lesson here is obedience to Christ makes all the practical difference in the outcomes of our lives. So the question we should be asking if we're going to obey is what does love demand of me in this situation? What would be the most loving thing to do here? And sometimes that's close our mouths, and sometimes it's serve our way into their hearts. Sometimes it's just stand alongside and be a presence. All right? So where it gets turned around is that many people have followed a discipleship model that goes from follow me to obey me. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. But I know, like, I got excited for Jesus initially and tried to obey. Right? And I kept falling. I... Kept, I think that the joy of my initial following him, I didn't really have a long time in relationship. And I went, my father actually thought I was in a cult. All right. So I was born, I mean, I was uh, raised in kind of a culturally Christian home. And I went from not attending church to attending church three times a week and passing out tracts. You guys remember tracts? Some of you remember tracts? I would go to the different tables in the high school, sit down and tell them about Jesus. All right. And so I went right from that follow me to obey me without any context in between. And so this is evident when we kind of get locked into following commands or rules for the sake of uh, missing a relationship. And so we can't do that very well. We kind of vacillate between bad work, good works, um, shame and salvation. You know, I keep falling and keep getting back up. I think I got addicted to the altar call when I was a kid too. Like it just felt so good to come forward and be cleansed. You know, and then I'd leave, and before I'm even out the door, I'm already in my head. Okay. So, the problem is we often don't spend enough time trusting and believing. We have, have you faced your own struggles? Are you, are you going through your own struggles? And what are you learning about God in the midst of those struggles? I think this is an important time of growth. Do we know that he loves us? Has it moved from our head to our hearts? Another problem is we tend to obey project this obey command on those outside of the community of church. Has anyone else seen that? All right, where we tend to say, you have to act this way. Let me correct your behavior. Remember the whole writing reflex thing? We tend to project this mantra of obey on the world that isn't interested in obeying. They're interested in being accepted and loved just for who they are. And we're applying rules to that relationship that doesn't tend to go real well. So we have a right to share. So what can we do is we can share, we can learn how to share naturally what's going on in our lives, live the life that we want to live without having to project that onto other people, right? How can we attract people towards wanting to know more rather than projecting that onto people? What's attractive? Are you loving well, right? We need to love and believe on people and stay in that relationship whether they change or not because we don't know whether they're changing, right? We only base our decisions on whether they're changing by what we see. But how long from when you first heard the message did you answer the altar call? For me, it was about a year, right? Was there change happening in that year? Most certainly, right? Had someone left the relationship when I was in the midst of that coming to Jesus moment, what do you think I would have done? I would have left too, 
But too often, again, if we don't see noticeable change, we, we turn our backs. So things to remember about the coming out process. Let's start untangling sharing from imposing. Sharing our faith without the expected hook that you're going to change as a result of my changing or by, by my sharing. Let's get into a relationship and invite them to share too. Let's look at invitational ways rather than confrontational ways. All right. And again, sometimes it's very subtle in how we do that. But we, sometimes, again, that writing reflex comes out very confrontational. And finally, remember our role. So our role is to love, to share, and invite. And then there's this other part of the tri triune God, the Holy Spirit, right? In terms of what is the Holy Spirit's role is that changed lives. And that we become the place where we get to notice through the context of the relationship that the wheat is leaning in. And then we know it's time to invite. So I invite you to come out. Come out of your Christian closets. Again, I know many of you are professionally out. But how can we make that process even more natural as we look at a world that's dying for acceptance, that's not dying to be known without having to change? In this context in which we live, the political correctness keeps our mouths closed. So how can we do that more naturally? And so just some reflection questions that I'm going to leave up there for you to consider maybe in the future. It's just, where are you? Be honest in your own follow me, trust and believe, or obey. Have you skipped the middle part like I did for so many years? All right. Uh, what would coming out look like for you? And then what support do you need to do that? Thank you for your time.